Welcome to the To Be Honest podcast. Today, I am speaking with Sarah Manning, who is a treatment success story. After being in and out of treatment for a few years, she attended a long-term residential treatment center where she learned more about mental illness and recovery. With this new knowledge and practice under her belt, she was able to help herself and then go on to help others. She recently graduated from Palo Alto Prep with honors this past June and is now studying early childhood education and psychology. So welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. So I like to ask every guest before we start and dive into your story. To be honest, how are you doing today? Uh, To be honest, I'm still coming down off of an adrenaline rush. Um, Still, Uh, my dog escaped earlier. And once we got him back inside, he was acting all psychotic. So we're we're doing great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad that your mom now has him under control and hopefully he feels safe now (laughs) back at home. Um, So to start off, um, I wanted to give our audience a bit of background on your mental health experiences. So I wanted to start with maybe when you first experienced symptoms of a mental illness and what that felt like. Yeah, Um, I started having anxiety in the second grade. Um, I would pull out my hair. And I recall thinking that it just felt good, but my mom looked at it and said, hey, maybe that's not the best thing for you to be doing. Um, So I went into therapy and I learned a couple of coping skills, though I don't remember any of them. (laughs) Um, Once, uh, or rather, my therapist moved and once she moved, we decided, you know, Sarah's probably okay. We, yeah, she probably doesn't need any more therapy. It would just be too much work to go look for another therapist. And I did pretty okay. Um, I continued to experience symptoms of anxiety. They manifested themselves in a lot of different ways, ranging from like having a panic attack and I didn't know what a panic attack was called or like um, procrastinating to the extent of getting like missing assignments. Um, There were a lot of different ways that anxiety showed up for me. And yeah, (laughs) I started feeling depressed in the fifth grade. My teacher was bullying me because of my um, exaggerated interest in religion and spirituality. Um, I thought that sort of thing would be supported going to a Catholic school, but I guess my interest was just too high. And then I became like really, really depressed uh, in the seventh grade. I had one friend in sixth grade and she moved between sixth grade and seventh grade. So I became a loner. And as we all know, loners are big red targets for bullies. Yeah. So when you first um, experienced symptoms of depression, did you feel like you could talk to your parents? Because they seemed pretty open about taking you to therapy when you were younger. So what was that experience like? Mental health has always been kind of discussed in my family. And I realized not everyone is that fortunate. Uh my parents, I'm sure, went to therapy themselves, and so they were at least kind of experienced in that area. Um, we definitely began getting more into therapy after I started struggling in seventh grade. I know I went to therapy. My siblings went or are going to therapy. My brother went to therapy. Um We've all had our share of mental health struggles and our parents have been very supportive of it. Yeah, that's great that you had that support system. And that was such an open topic. I agree. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then I know you went to Utah for treatment um, eventually. Would you mind talking about what led up to that decision and why Utah um, and what that experience was like once you were there? I was in and out of treatment for a couple of years, I think, too. I kept finding myself in the hospital in different short-term residential programs. And I think after my fourth hospitalization, we decided, hey, what we're doing isn't cutting it. We need to take it a step up. We chose a residential program in Utah uh, in part because there were maybe two long-term residentials in California and my mom went out and visited them and was not a fan. And Utah has a much wider range of residential treatment programs or RTCs there. Uh, The reason for this is because of the loose restraint laws. A lot of people are under the impression that mental health can't be treated unless they, the patients can be restrained. Um, so Utah has very lax laws about that and residentials take advantage of that. This meant that my experience was very mixed. I really benefited from going to treatment in Utah. I made really good friends with some of the teachers Um, some of the staff members. I learned so many coping skills. I was able to address the root issues instead of just managing my symptoms. And some of the things that I witnessed in treatment were traumatizing. When I went to the hospital, I frequently saw my roommate self-harming, attempting suicide. Uh, I started self-harming after I saw what she did. Um, When I was in Utah, I saw restraints. We weren't supposed to see restraints. They were supposed to be done in a um, more isolated from the group environment. Um, But we saw it anyway because sometimes they are, I guess, unavoidable. It was really hard to see other people who are struggling just as much or if not more than I was. Days would go by with people getting in conflicts or being in these like grudge holding competitions That made it super awkward to talk to anyone. Um, Like I said, we would witness restraints. We would witness people having flashbacks. I'm sure it was hard for them. No, I know it was hard for them. And I also know it was hard for the people witnessing it. And again, I do want to reiterate that overall, this experience was very good for me. Um, I did get the coping skills that I needed. I did make the progress that I needed to make. I came to terms with my attention-seeking behaviors, which was a huge, huge shame spot for me before going to treatment. And I think it's a very good option for most people seeking treatment and there are definitely reforms to be made. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you don't mind me asking how long ago was that for you that you sought treatment? Uh, Let's see. I graduated May 21st, uh, 2020, or I graduated from the RTC May 21st, 2020. Um, I went there, I want to say June 6th of 2019. So about a year I was in there and it's been a little over a year since I left. Mm-hmm. Was that hard being away from family for that long? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was not a day that went by where I didn't miss them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were they able to visit you at all or was it completely like closed off from visitors? There were visitors. Um, we would have weekly phone calls once you got up to Once you got further along in your treatment, got to higher levels, uh, you would get more often or more frequent phone calls, um, home visits. When you were on lower 
when you were on lower levels, your parents or family members could come to visit you on campus. Um, so yeah, I wasn't entirely cut off, but that separation was definitely there. <laughs> yeah, that's really hard. Especially, yeah, I mean, in high school, I feel like your family is like your support system. So it must have been pretty difficult. Um, and I know you mentioned like there there were so many benefits that you you gained from going out of state um, and just experiencing a long-term residential treatment center. Um, is there anything in particular that you took away from um, the treatment process that you still actively use in your recovery today? Absolutely, yeah. One of the main things that I learned in treatment was the idea of negative core beliefs. Uh, let's see, I think one of the programs that I went to called them nuts or negative unhealthy thoughts. Um, the program encouraged people to think of it not as symptoms, but as a flaw in the way that you think. Um, for instance, one of my negative core beliefs was that I'm a burden. Um, therefore, my actions on the extreme side were trying to commit suicide to stop being a burden to people. Um, another one of my negative core beliefs was like, I'm a victim. I, <laughs> this sounds so bad. I loved being the victim. Uh, if I felt like I could make people pity me, that was great. And I had to learn to challenge that. I had to learn to say like, I'm not a victim to circumstance. I'm making these choices. Yes, I have depression and that's encouraging me to feel this way. And I can work to have the power to overcome those unhealthy thoughts and these negative core beliefs. I've recently been studying the Enneagram with a friend of mine. Um, which also proposes like a core difficulty that each person struggles with. So for some people, it's anger. For some people, it's um, lust. For some people, it's pride. Um, and once we learn to accept that these difficulties are a part of us and we learn to overcome them, that's when the true changes begin to occur. I was going to say, I like the, I've never heard of the nuts. Is that what it's called? And that's yeah, the, negative, negative unhealthy Yeah, I really like, well, one, I like the acronym, but I also <laughs> think it's really interesting that, yeah, you can focus on those specific things that your mind often goes to repetitively, I think, like those negative mm -hmm. thoughts um, and treating those specifically. What has recovery looked like for you or what has it been like? Um, especially during the pandemic, I'm curious how you kind of like kept up your recovery. So I went straight from Utah to the pandemic. Um, I worked for a year developing social skills because God knows I lacked them. And I came home to an environment where, oh, I can't meet anyone. I was fortunately able to go to a really good school that was very focused on mental health. Um, all of the teachers and staff there were super understanding of like, hey, this is a really tough time to be coming home. Feel like our door is open. Feel free to come in and talk to us. And I took advantage of that. I didn't sit back and say, oh, no, like how horrible. I'm never going to make any friends. I went out and I made friends. I think my first day of school, uh, I looked at the people in the Zoom meeting. I picked a couple of people who I thought looked friendly and I messaged them on Google Hangouts. I was like, hey, I saw you in the Zoom meeting. Want to talk? Um, super cheesy, super like hard to do. I felt <laughs> kind of gross, um, but it worked. Like some of those, one of those people is my best friend. 
That's really awesome. Yeah, good for you for getting outside of your comfort zone and really putting the tools that you've learned to use. I feel like I need those tools too. Um, I think everyone can sometimes, especially yeah. if you're more introverted. I think it could definitely be be of use. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, I want to talk about, um, you mentioned before that um, one of your negative thoughts was feeling like a burden, which I think is super common, um, unfortunately, for a lot of people who do have a mental health challenge. So mm-hmm. uh, my first question was, why do you feel like, or why did you specifically feel like your mental health was a burden to others? One of the chief reasons that was in my like list of justifications was finances. Um, I heard my parents talking about their financial struggles a lot. Um, I mean, we, we live in California. It's not easy. And when I was struggling to do schoolwork, um, I would hear my parents say things like, we don't pay for you to go to school to not do your homework. Um, and I understand their flow of logic, but it still hurt. <laughs> um, I got it into my head, like, either I need to do my homework or I am a drain on my parents. And I found my needs asking my mom or my dad to step away from work, to step away from whatever they were doing at home to help me cope, to get me to therapy, to bring me to the hospital. Um, All of that really fed into the belief that I was a burden Um, because to the best of my knowledge, like I was, I felt like I was making them do that. Yeah. I feel like that's a really hard mindset to kind of get out of. Um, I know it took you going through treatment, but I'm curious if you have any advice for, um, anyone else who may feel like their mental health is a burden, like, would you, what would you recommend that they, how could they change their mindset so they don't feel that way? One of the most important things for me to realize was that other people are responsible for other people. Crazy idea, I know. Um, <laughs> I am so used to thinking, oh, I made you feel this way, or you're doing this because of me. Very self-centered and very self-sacrificing, which is a huge irony and I love it. I had to teach myself to say, these people are choosing to support me. They're choosing to leave work. They're choosing to leave whatever they were doing at home to come help me. And it made me feel good. It made me feel loved. I realized these people love me enough to help me instead of I'm making these people do it. That idea was so healing for me. Letting go of the responsibility of other people's emotions was a huge step that I had to make. And it's still one that I'm struggling with today. My sister recently got mad at me and I I started feeling really bad. I was like, oh God, this is all my fault. What do I need to do? Um, and then I remembered, I'm in control of my actions. I can do the best I can. The way that she interprets it in the end is up to her. And it goes the same for feeling like a burden. Yeah, I'm wondering, I feel like so many people feel this way. Is Do you feel like there's a way that we can change the narrative um, around mental health for youth and young adults to make them not feel like a burden? Like, is there anything we can do as a society or as friends and family of those who are experiencing a mental health challenge? Normalization. Um, there are a lot of groups working on that, like, as we speak. Um, I know... At my college, uh, we have a very mental health related program. Um, It's easy to get to a counselor. It's easy to 
find a teacher who knows who you can talk to or is willing to talk to you. But it's not easy in all situations. If we considered mental health like any other health, I realize I'm saying this, some people with like physical health difficulties may also feel like a burden. So my metaphor doesn't work super great. <laughs> the idea of giving as much care to mental health as we do for physical health, I think would really help students, young adults alike to realize, hey, this is a normal struggle for people to be having. It's not extra, it's not a burden. Um, we could talk about like budgeting, put in money, like budget away money for therapy, a check for a rainy day. It's, it's something that's to be expected. Asking for help isn't burdensome. It's natural. It's normal. Yeah. I like what you said before about we're all here to kind of take care of each other. I think that's kind of like a beautiful way of, of putting it just because it's true. Like we're not, we're not friends or, you know, we don't love our family because of like what they can give us where we love them because of who they are and we want to support them and help them in any way that we can. Um, so I think that's important. And I also like that you um, kind of mentioned like normalizing the conversation. In my head, I've always thought like the earlier that we talk about mental health, the better. So like integrating it into education, even at like an elementary school level, like wording it as self-care or even maybe just bring it up as it is like this is what mental health is um, and this is how you can take care of yourself and reach out if you need help it's like you said it's just as important as physical health so absolutely and I love the idea of helping people understand mental health from a young age I used to work at a Kumon and one of the kids was going through it she was crying um and I went up to her and I walked her through some coping skills. I asked her, like, hey, what's going on? And she said, like, I just don't know the answers. I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions that you do know the answer to, to help you get your confidence back up. What's your favorite color? She, she was like, red. And I was like, awesome. Red is a great color. Let's talk about this. Let's keep practicing regulating skills. Let's make this a normal thing, not something that you have to go to treatment to learn. I, and I was so grateful to have that opportunity to share even like a small coping skill with a kid. Yeah. I think that shows that there are so many opportunities that we could use to yeah, educate young people about mental health. Um, and without even like just saying like, this is what mental health is. It's like, you're just teaching them through doing and acting um, which is really great. I'm curious, what is one thing you would want other youth to know about mental health or the importance of taking care of one's mental health? It's important. I know that's cheesy, but it really is. I personally, I'm a chronic overworker. I will sign myself up for all the classes, for all the extracurriculars, for all the work assignments. And then when I come back home, I can't sleep. I'm too busy having an anxiety attack. Listening to yourself, like listening to your thoughts. What am I telling myself about the situation? Checking in with your heart. Does this feel true? Um, do I feel good about doing this? Checking in with your body. Am I stressing myself out too much? Am I sleeping enough? Um, all of these things are really little check-ins that you can do with yourself in order to make sure that you're not overwhelming yourself, that you're keeping in touch with your mental health, 
with your spiritual health, with your physical health. All of these things are super interconnected. Um, I don't want to say like, if you have good mental health, everything comes easy, like no, but it comes easier. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like it takes time to like get to know your body, get to know your mind and how everything kind of connects and getting to know yourself on a a deeper level, so to speak. So on that same note, what is something that you do personally on a regular basis to take care of your mental health? I've been biking. Um, I know, right? Um, I'll admit recently I've stopped because I'm just lazy. (laughs) Um, But I love intellectually stimulating things. So you'll find me playing escape rooms or um, solving riddles whenever I'm bored, um, taking care of my mind. You'll see me sleeping. Um, well, I mean, I hope you don't see me sleeping, but like, you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) I, like I said, I'm a workaholic. I like to work 24 seven. And when I'm not working, I crash hard. So I've been working on creating a stable sleep schedule for myself. It does mean I have to go to bed at 10 now, which is super lame. Um, but it's getting me up early enough in the morning and getting me enough sleep. I'm doing frequent check-ins with myself. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? What is my body telling me I need right now? I have been practicing stepping away from the situation whenever it gets overwhelming or too much or I can't think straight. Um, Because it's those moments when you can't think straight (laughs) that you make the worst decisions. There's a lot of small stuff that I do for my mental health. I don't go to therapy every day. I mean, that would be nice, but... I'm learning to take care of myself. Sounds like you're doing quite a bit, which is good. I think it's nice to know that it's not just like a one and done kind of thing, you know, like it's always, it's like continuing process. It's something that's lifelong. And I think like the way that we take care of ourselves changes over time. So it'll be interesting to see like the things that you get into and the things that you discover and how you take care of yourself over yeah. over your lifetime. I'm curious also, cause you mentioned, um, and I, well, in your bio, you say that you are studying early childhood education, right. And psychology. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so I'm curious what you would like to do with that in the future. So I recently accepted a job as an assistant preschool teacher. Um, nice. Thank you. I am really looking forward to it. It seems like a super great environment. Um, I I have a knack for academia. I'm pretty smart. I like to think so anyway. And I really enjoy helping people. You put those two things together and you get a pretty decent teacher. I would love to become a teacher. My end goal is high school, preferably at the high school I used to go to because that was just such a good environment. So like healthy and helpful. Um, And I'm also looking forward to the places that I go on the way there. Um, I'm really excited for this preschool. I'm excited for any future schools that I might work at. Um, Honestly, I'm not entirely sure what I'll do with the psychology degree besides maybe brag about it. Um, (laughs) But um, I think it'll also give me a lot of insight into my, my own mental health, into other people's mental health. Something that I think will be able to help me if and when I become a teacher. Earlier, I mentioned that one of my teachers was bullying me. Imagine if she knew the psychological effects she was having on me. These are the things that I want to be aware of. These are the things that I want teachers to be aware of. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, And then my last question was, how has having a mental illness changed you? That's an interesting question. It's, I don't know, it's like asking, how has the scent of smell changed you? I don't know, I've always had it. Um, It's definitely 
made things a lot harder. And I've also learned a lot of things because of it. My mental illness changed the way that I perceived the world and I'm learning to change it back. <laughs> if I wasn't mentally ill, I would never have gotten any of the resources that I'd gotten. Honestly, okay, kind of a tangent. I think it's stupid how hard it is to get an individualized education program or an IEP. Um, one of my more radical ideas is every student should have an IEP um, because education is individual, but you only see students who have severe mental health issues or severe physical disabilities getting these IEPs. Yeah, it opened my eyes to how much how much control I have and how much control I don't have and learning to take control of what I can and let go of what I can't. It taught me a lot of lifelong skills. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the thing on the internet where someone's like, wow, you're so wise. And the other person is like, thanks, it's the trauma. Like that's, <laughs> that's really what it's like. Um, you, you grow in wisdom and intelligence and everything when you go through a hard time. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Yeah, I think you kind of touched on like the positives and there are negatives, but like you said, it's been kind of almost a lifelong thing for you. Like you don't know life without it. So um, I think your perspective is really unique in that sense. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing your experience, um, your journey. Um, I think a lot of people will benefit from hearing your story. Um, and just from the short conversation, I know you're going to do some great things in this world. It sounds like you're <laughs> going to make so many changes in our education system, which I'm excited to see. Um, thank, you. So yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, do you want to promote anything or do you want people to, I don't know, check out your Instagram if you're open to people like talking to you? <laughs> oh, you know what? If you're having a hard time when you want to send me a message on like Instagram, I might not see it because it's a private account, but it's T-A-L-I-T-H-A underscore K-O-U-M-1, Talitha Kum 1. Yeah, just feel free to send me a message. I'm seriously here to talk. I love helping people. Like, I, I love helping people. Um, it's it's not a burden to come ask me. Again, I might not respond because sometimes I don't see them, but I'll try. Yeah, hopefully um, hopefully some people, if they need, uh, you know, some, just someone to talk to, they'll reach out. So thank you for offering that. And thank you again for being on the podcast. And I hope we can keep in touch and talk again soon. Of course. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. The To Be Honest podcast is a creative platform that enables youth and young adults to share their personal experience with mental health to help normalize the conversation around this often taboo topic. To Be Honest is a program of Momentum for Health and is supported by District 4 Inventory Funds for Public Urban Properties and BetterHelp. To learn more about To Be Honest, visit tobehonest.today or check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The To Be Honest podcast is hosted and edited by Avery Cruz, as well as edited by Peyton Dillahay. Music for the podcast was created by Julia Steele. For more information, check out the episode show notes and the streaming platform of your choice. Happy listening!